0: sure is refreshing, isn't it, to see young people singing out their heart like that and to know that they've uh, been on mission uh, for the Lord this week, singing just like that. And you think of the message you just heard in skid and song and who they were delivering this message to, some of the down and outs of society, those who are in the bird cage or the cage that the devil has them in. And the message that they can be free. Uh, Young people, we're proud of you, and we thank God for you. (laughs) Let let me pray with us this morning. Fathers, we've been encouraged already this morning through worship and through the testimony of our young people Lord, our hearts are open to you this morning. Please continue to plant that seed of your word and water it and cultivate it and cause it to grow in our lives and produce fruit. Lord, fruit for others' sake, that others may see and hear and know and love Jesus as we do. So, Lord, I pray for this message time now, Lord, that you would speak through me, speak to me, and speak to all of us today. I pray that Satan truly would be bound and have no place here in the name and through the blood of Jesus and that your message, the gospel of Jesus, would go forth and prevail. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says in Romans 5, 9, we shall be saved from wrath through Christ. We are saved. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to him, you've been born again, then you are not under the wrath of God. You don't have to try to appease God. God's salvation in your life has delivered you from his wrath and Also, God has delivered you from the wrath to come. And that's what he says here in verse 9. He shall be saved from wrath. Shall be points to something future. So in this context, there is a wrath to come. What do you think that wrath to come would be? Well, I believe one of the things that Paul is referring to here in this verse is For those who never turn from their sins, from those who never come to Christ and trust Him for salvation, they face an eternity of God's wrath in a place called hell. It's a very serious matter, hell. Even for those of us who have escaped it by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's still a very serious matter. Why? Because sometimes I believe we Christians, we forget what we deserve. I hope you who are saved Don't forget, that's what you really and I really deserve, still. And that's what we've been saved from. What a blessing. We forget also where those who die without Christ in reality end up. We forget that. We forget how serious it is for us to obey the Great Commission, to go and... And take the gospel, as Brother Lasseter just spoke of a moment ago, taking the, the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And it's not just for Gideons. It's not just for preachers. It's for the people of God. Take it wherever we go. But We just aren't comfortable with the reality of hell. We don't talk about it. We minimize it. We trivialize it with jokes. We sanitize it and think that it's not really going to be that bad or that, God really wouldn't send people there. Even Christians, we don't want hell to be a real real place because it means that the people we know who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and whom we've refused to talk to about him have died and gone there. And our conscience just can't bear it, so we choose to ignore it. Or we lie to ourselves and we try to convince ourselves that they're in a better place. And at least they're not suffering anymore. You know, if a person dies without Christ, they're in the worst place possible. And their suffering's just begun. Vance Habner was an evangelist in a generation gone by. He told a story about a church member who didn't like the sermons that he preached about hell. And I admit it's not a comfortable subject to preach nor is it a comfortable subject to hear. But this church member said to him, why don't you preach about the meek and lowly Jesus? His reply was, well, that's where I got my information about hell. You know, much of what we know about hell came from the lips of Christ. Jesus taught more about hell than any other biblical figure. Our understanding of hell derives from Christ. Don't you think part of the good news of what Jesus died to save us from would be an important thing that he would want to talk about? I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. There we see the opposites in one verse, John 10.10. Jesus spoke of hell. Hell because it was something very serious. I want to examine, and we started last week examining what Jesus taught about hell so that we can remember what we've been saved from, so that we can remember what unbelievers are headed to, and so that we can remember how serious it is for us to take the gospel into all the world. And we are looking at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And uh, please, let's read that again together this morning. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Luke 16, pick up with verse 20. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments, In Hades, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Can you imagine the depth of torment this man had to be in, that one drop of water would have soothed him? But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So to review last week, the first thing you see there on your outline, which is on the back of the bulletin, is that a life sown apart from God reaps an eternity apart from God. The Bible says in Galatians 6, Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to the flesh corruption, he will Reap corruption eternally. If he sows of the Spirit, he will reap of the Spirit life everlasting. God is not mocked. If you want a life apart from God, hell is that place he honors your request, but for all of eternity. Somebody said, why would a loving God send someone to hell? He doesn't. They volunteer. You see, God doesn't send people to hell. God's love sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the wrath of God for our sin upon Himself so that we could be delivered, saved from the wrath of God in a place called hell. Hell, secondly, is a real literal place separated from God. This is what we talked about last week. Hades. Jesus tells us the place he's talking about here. He's not talking about the grave. It would have been nice if Jesus would have stopped at verse 22, that both of these men died and that was it. That's what some people want to think, that all you got to do is all that happens is you just die. You cease to exist. You're no longer anything, anywhere. You just, like an animal, you, you just die and that's it. But Jesus said both of these men died. One went one place, one went another. And by the way, there's only two places mentioned in the Scripture. And eternity, heaven and hell. There's no in-between, and there's no second chances, as you see in this passage, too. But Jesus made it clear what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the grave. He said, and being in torments in Hades. and And the word torment is used four times in these verses. He's talking about a place that is separated from God, a place of torment, in contrast to where Lazarus went. He said, in Abraham's bosom. Now, Abraham was a picture of, of uh, the Old Testament patriarch, that when he died, he went to be with God. And Remember, Jesus said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not the God of the dead, but of the living. So when Jesus re- was referring to Abraham's bosom, he was referring to the presence of God, where God is. See, heaven is with God. To be absent from the body, if you died right now and you're saved, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We'd have to bury your body, but your spirit, your soul, the real use with the Lord. But hell is apart from God. Jesus spoke that in several passages. You see there, you can look up later. We covered those last week. But this morning, I want to pick up in our outline and show you from this passage what Jesus said about hell, that it is a place of torment. We said that word is repeated four times. It's in verse 23, verse 24, verse 25, and verse 28. Hell is a place of torment. It's not a place of pleasure. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, three times he repeated the same thing, and here it is. Speaking of that place, the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. He says it again, same passage, Mark nine forty-six. The where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In verse 48, where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. Now you think if Jesus says something once, that's pretty important because Jesus said it. If you said it's twice, you better pay attention, but he says it three times within six or eight verses. I think Jesus is trying to communicate something here about the torment of hell. He's warning us. He's warning mankind. The devil wants people to believe that hell is not that big of a deal. It's going to be fun. Hey, there's no God there. We don't have to give account for our sins. We don't have to be feel guilty about anything. We can do whatever we want. Will it be one big party? I was once told by someone that they wanted to go to hell because all their friends would be there. We were doing an outreach at uh, a downtown uh, festival in Louisiana, and a young girl was drinking, and she was partying it up, and, and um, I'm sure she was under the influence, and she says, Oh, yeah, I know. I'm going to hell like it was no big deal. But look what the Bible says about hell. First of all, it's eternal fire. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, that he will say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 19, 20, and 21 calls hell the lake of fire it's a place of eternal fire Matthew 25 46 is a place of eternal punishment he, and Jesus said by the way these are all words of Christ and these will go away into everlasting punishment why would they have to be punished forever well because they rejected the one that was punished for their sins you see, if you receive Jesus Christ, if you believe upon Jesus Christ, what you're saying is, I believe that Jesus took my punishment. He took the full wrath of God for my sin. And when you believe that and place your faith and trust in that, then you escape the wrath of God. But if you reject that, then you abide under the wrath of God. And if you die like that, you experience the punishment forever and ever and ever. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says it's a place of everlasting destruction. He says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And then we're told in Isaiah, and this is an important point, there will be eternal hatred. You know, you won't have any friends in hell, even if all your friends go there. Y'all won't be friends. Bible says in Isaiah 66, 24, And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. That's where Jesus got this quote from, was Isaiah 66. And the last phrase, there will be a hatred for all flesh, an abhorrence of all flesh. You won't love anybody. There will be no love in hell, no love, not even like. There will be hatred forever and ever. How can you endure these torments without dying and or being consumed? How could a person who goes to hell endure eternal fire, eternal punishment, eternal destruction, and eternal hatred without being consumed? Let me remind you, we're talking about God here, the God of the impossible. What did Moses see when God was talking to him? Do you remember? A burning bush. What was unique about that burning bush? It was burning, but it was not being consumed. Do you think the God that did that could could make a person live forever in fire and not be consumed? Could he? He certainly could. Believers, we're going to be raised with an incorruptible body able to live forever. See, our bodies aren't able to live forever. We can't stand past 80, 90, 100 years. And our bodies succumb to age and disease and sickness. The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 15. But also talks about the unbelieving dead will be raised with a body. A body that will be able to last forever. And that will be able to withstand the torments of hell for all eternity without being consumed. The Bible calls this in the New Testament in the Gospels the resurrection of condemnation. That is a phrase in the New Testament. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10:28. Read that for you, because I don't think I read that this morning. That was last week. Um, Jesus said, "Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell." This word "destroy" or "destruction" is the same word Jesus used in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not be destroyed. What word do we use? Perish. It's the same word. It means to be eternally tormented, to be eternally punished, to be eternally separated from God. You see, hell is not like jail. Of course, jail is not like this, really. But hell is not a place to reform and rehab lost people where they pay their dues and then they finally get to get to heaven. That's not what hell's about. Hell is a place of the eternally doomed with absolutely no hope of redemption. It's the ultimate realm of conclusion with no possibility of change. Abraham, Father Abraham told this rich man, said, There's a great gulf fixed between you and I. You can't come here and we can't go there. A great gulf is fixed. It's eternally in place. A separation between heaven and hell and no one from there can get to heaven and no one from heaven can get to there. Someone commented to me Sunday night. It was a very interesting comment. He said, you know how, what distance that is, that, that great gulf? He said, it's been actually measured how far that, that gulf is. And well, he had my curiosity piqued, I said, I, said, I can't wait to hear what you got to say. I've never heard this before. He said, well, it's, It's about 12 inches from knowing Jesus exists to trusting him with your heart and life. And that's where some people are, maybe even you today. You have a mental assent. You agree that Jesus lived. Well, the devil does too. You believe he died. The devil does too. You believe he rose again. The devil does too. He knows all the things you and I know about Jesus. In fact, he knows more about Jesus than you do. Is he going to heaven? Let me ask that again. Is he going to heaven? Thank you. (laughs) Why not? He knows all about Jesus. Isn't that what it takes? What What will he not do that God commands us to do? Surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Surrender our will. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means to give Him your life, to believe that what He did was for you. He took your place and you trade lives. You give Him yours and you live His here on earth. You know another thing about hell? It's not only eternal fire, punishment, destruction, and hatred. It's eternal memory. Look at, verse, look at Luke 16 again. Luke 16 and verse 25, Abraham said, Son, talking to the rich man, remember. Verse 27 and 28, this rich man remembered that he had five brothers that were living just like he was living. See, he didn't, this man didn't go to hell because he was rich, and this beggar didn't go to hell, heaven because he was poor. That's not the lesson here. If you were here last week, if you missed it, you can catch it on our website. But the, what Jesus was pointing to here was these two men lived completely different lives. One lived his life for the things of this world. One lived his life with, with the first man with no regard for God, all for the things of this world. And the other man lived an opposite kind of life with regard to God. But see, part of hell's torment is that those there will remember every wicked deed they did. He said, remember how you lived your life compared to how Lazarus lived his? 1 Timothy 5.24 says that our our works follow us into eternity, and so does Revelation 14.13. In other words, when, it, when a person goes to hell, they're going to remember all their wicked works. And all the guilt, all the shame, all the pain, all the hurt, all the rejection is going to be compounded upon them for all of eternity. But in sharp contrast to that, God says about the believer, when they die, I will wipe away their tears from their eyes. There will be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain for the former things that passed away. You know what else I think the person in hell is going to remember? They're going to remember every time they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejected it. I'm just speculating here, but in verse 29 to 31 we get a little hint of that. Father Abraham, remember this rich man said, I have five brothers would you let Lazarus go back from the dead and tell my five brothers about this horrible place that they not come here? And then Abraham said, no. They have the Bible. You know the Bible they had then? Moses and the prophets. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then the writings of the prophets, which we have in our Bible. That was all the Bible they had. Basically, the Old Testament. They have the Old Testament. They have the Bible. And if they won't hear the Bible, remember, here's what this man said. He said, no. You see, there's a rejection of God's Word in this man's heart. Still in hell, he's still rejecting the Word of God. No! The Word of God's not good enough. They won't believe the Word of God. They would believe if a dead person came back to life. That's what many people think. We need to see some great sign, miraculous sign. We need some physical, visible evidence that what you're saying is true. And Abraham said, no, they won't believe. If they won't believe the Bible, they won't even believe if somebody came back from the dead. If they're rejecting God, they're going to reject God all the way even if somebody came back from the dead. They're going to remember every time they heard the gospel and rejected it. And it's going to Haunt them for all of eternity. The last thing I want to share with you, I'm just about done. Is hell is a place you can only escape before you die. Look at verse 28. This man finally realized that there's this great gulf fix and he could do nothing about his own soul, but he, there, he had five living brothers they could make a decision while they were still alive. You see, there are no second chances. Once you die, it's settled. And I would say to you of all ages this morning, from the youngest all the way to the oldest, you don't have all the time you think you have. wasn't that long ago this community saw buried was it an 8 or 10-year-old boy and then a 17-year-old boy? Now, when we read the obituaries and we read of 70, 80, 90-year-olds being dying, maybe that's normal, but it shakes us up when it's a young person. We all think we've got plenty of time. There's a fictional story of Satan. And I emphasize a fictional story. Are you all hearing me? What kind of story am I fixing to tell? You won't find this in the Bible but it illustrates this point. A fictional story of Satan interviewing three demons. Satan was taking suggestions as how best to deceive the majority of the human race and to keep them away from God and claim them for hell. The first little peon demon suggested, well, let's tell them there is no God. Satan replied, yes, many will be deceived by that lie and will be doomed for eternity but I think there's still a more subtle way. Another somewhat smarter demon spoke up, spoke up and proposed, well, what if we tell them that hell is not real? Let's trick them into believing that a God of love would never send anyone into hell, no matter how they live on earth, and even if they reject him now, that he'll have mercy in the end. The devil said, indeed, that will deceive even more, because hell is such an uncomfortable subject. Nobody wants to think that God would ever allow somebody to go there or that they or their loved ones deserve to go there but he said I still believe we can be even more subtle and gather more of the masses into hell finally a third higher ranking and more brilliant minded demon after listening disdainfully to the other two addressed his boss He said, while many will believe there is no God, most logical people can deduce that there is someone who made all things, that there is a grand designer, and they begin to seek him and find him. So obviously that's not the smartest delusion. And yes, millions of others will be swept into hell, all the while believing that it doesn't even exist. Yet humanity by nature are moral-thinking creatures with a strong sense of right and wrong, reward and punishment, and they will, will, will want to respond to God to escape coming here. So that deception will only affect the simple-minded. May I propose a far more sinister deception, one that will trawl with the widest net, the masses of humanity, into hell. Instead of just telling them there is no God or that there is no hell, let's just tell them that there is no rush. Satan squealed with delight at this sinister strategy. Yes! Yes! Yes, he said, while they're enjoying the good things of life, growing up, going to school, beginning a career, falling in love, getting married, starting a family, making money, going on vacations. Let's just tell them they have plenty of time to get right. Yes, yes, you need to get right with God, just not today. Do it tomorrow, or better yet, wait until you're on your deathbed. For even though they see their friends and loved ones dying at all ages and in many different ways, they never dream it would happen to them will catch them by surprise. This will indeed cause countless multitudes of humanity of every generation to fall headlong into hell, separated from God forever. There is no rush. Just put it off. you got plenty of time. Jesus told another story about another rich man. It's called the rich parable of the rich fool. He said, I've got plenty laid up in store. He said, I'm just going to sit back and retire and take my ease. And God said, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Let me ask you something this morning. If God said that to you tonight, tonight I'm requiring your soul. Now, you don't know that, but what if? Where are you going? Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You may not have tomorrow. 2 Corinthians 6 says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. I realize that there still may be some skeptics even in this room. But what if the dead could talk? What if God would let somebody from hell come back? What if all those people you know that have died could come back and talk to you about what they're experiencing? What would they describe for you? The rich man wanted to do just that for his brothers. You see, it's not allowed. God's given you enough of his word and he gave his son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe that, nothing else is coming. Notice also in this passage that the dead in hell are praying. This man in hell was talking to the man upstairs. (laughs) I don't like that term, by the way, but I use it for effect here. The man in hell down below was talking to the man up there. You ever think there was prayer going on in hell? What was this man in hell praying for? First of all, deliverance. From torment, but what did he pray for last? The salvation of his brothers. Did you ever stop to think that there may be people in hell praying for you right now? God, somehow get a message to them. Could you think that this service right now could be the answer to their prayer? That you're hearing the truth? And God's given you an opportunity to respond this morning, right here, right now in this place. What do you got to lose? Jesus said, what does, it man, what does it gain a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? If what you've heard here this morning isn't true, then you have nothing to lose and neither do I. But if what you've heard this morning is true, then you're taking a big gamble. You're gambling with with your most valuable possession, your soul. Are you willing to gamble your soul? You don't have to. Instead of gambling with it in the casinos of the world, and I don't mean casinos, I mean just gambling with your life and soul, why don't you take it and give it to Jesus? Offer him your life, and he'll give you his. To you who are already saved, my dear Christian brother and sister, I pray that we'll, as one writer wrote, I pray we'll be like Charles Spurgeon who said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they're to perish, let them perish with our arms about our knees. Let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Believers, if hell is real, what are you doing about it? Everybody in this room has friends, relatives, schoolmates, co-workers, associates that you know are living apart from God. It's not hard to figure that out. You don't know the condition of their soul, but you can tell they're living apart from God. You say, well, it's not my business. Yes, it is. Jesus made it our business. He told us to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ and reach them. Now, we can't force it, but we can love them. We can lead them. You can put the living water before them. It's their choice whether they drink or not, but you can put it before them. You can tell them that there's a better way, and you can show them that better way. You can show them by your life that there's a better way. You can show them from the word that there's a better way. But we have an obligation not to just mind our own business. Have an obligation to mind the Father's business. Where did Mary find Jesus at 12 years old, and what did Jesus say? I must be about my Father's business. Saving lost souls is the Father's business. And everybody who's been saved has been engaged into the Father's business. We don't have any excuses. Fact that's all we have is flimsy excuses if we're not serving the Lord and involved in His business. We've got work to do. The devil seems to be winning, raking the masses into hell, while the church is having potluck dinners. I ain't against potluck dinners, as you can tell, and entertainment and fellowships and worship services and prayer meetings and Bible studies. All of those things are good. But if they don't get us out of the four walls of this church into the masses of humanity trying to rescue the perishing, we're playing games with God. And we ain't fooling Him. We got work to do. We got work to do. And it starts with me. I've been asking God to give me a fresh, new burden. I mean a burden. you know what that is? A weight, a heaviness of heart over lost people, people separated from God. I've been asking for God to give me a greater compassion for lost people. Because what tends I tend to do, and I believe what every Christian tends to do is we look at lost people's behavior. And we judge them and we reject them. They're not like me. Where do we find Jesus? He was with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Because he had compassion on them. I've been asking God to give me a fresh compassion. For people who don't behave like the word of God says we ought to behave. And then I've got to remember my own life. I don't always behave either. How about you? Some of you on your way to church this morning, you blessed some people out that were stopping at a green light, right? A burden and compassion. And the third thing I've been asking for is boldness. Paul said, pray for me that I might have boldness and utterance to speak as I ought to speak. I need those three things if I'm going to be effective witness for Christ. I need a burden that hell is real and that souls are headed there and it ought to bother me really bad it ought to bother me and I need compassion because I don't always love people I judge them by their behavior I want to stop doing that lost people act like lost people and I need boldness God help me initiate a redemptive conversation would you pray those things with me this morning believers would you pray those things with me would you pray those things for me I'll pray those things for you and then let's make a commitment not to be satisfied with just coming to church God would make us wholly uncomfortable until we get involved in the Father's business. Would you bow with me this morning?